podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's episode, we're going to bring you something a little bit different. Yeah, we did this live stream on Saturday, March 28th. It was very exciting for us. Ethan and I haven't done something of this magnitude before. It was four and a half hours of jam-packed conversation with eight different entrepreneurs. Called it the Recession Proof Startup Saturday. We got a lot of people hanging out at home now in quarantine because of COVID-19. And yeah, we're pretty proud that we were able to pull this together and make something positive out of difficult time for a lot of people. And we actually raised some money too. We raised some money, $415 at the time of this recording. And growing. Yeah, it's been growing over the past few days. So that's good. Been growing. Yeah. Also, I think a big appeal for us in doing this is to bring some optimism to people out there. Who knows what it'll feel like in a couple of weeks when this is published. But right now, today, uh, it's March 31st. And it feels a little dire out there. People are a little gloomy. And I think one of the most exciting things about this episode is the enthusiasm and positivity that a lot of the guests brought to it in the face of something that's very challenging, both from a a health standpoint and the economy. And the uh, fundraiser, by the way, was for the World Health Organization COVID-19 Response Fund. So yeah, we got a lot of people taking threats and turning them into opportunities in the most positive way possible. And so I think listeners will get a lot out of this. Great. Let's hear about the next episode we're going to do. This episode is with David Kosciuszko and Peter Corbett. Enjoy. Kicking it off here, we've got Peter Corbett. Peter, you were telling us before we went live a little bit about your background. Would you mind repeating that for the audience? Sure. I'll give you the elevator. I grew up you know, single mother with three kids. So I learned to hustle at an early age if I wanted to afford candy or video games. I ended up starting a digital agency. I bootstrapped it. So sort of the old school way, you have customers that pay you money and you, know, you make profit. Imagine that. Grew it to about 100 employees, sold it to WPP, I believe still the world's largest uh, ad agency holding company, publicly traded company. Retired from that business uh, two years ago. And since then, have been essentially training in Zen Hospice. So I worked with the sick and dying. Um, I had been doing that at the Brooklyn Hospital. It's called the Brooklyn Hospital Center in the emergency room. So my patients were mostly in the emergency room and then in the ICU units. And I'm not allowed to go anymore due to COVID. So that's uh, a challenge. But I've taken that practice to Zoom, as many of us have. So I've been working directly with people whose family members are dying or, or they may be sick as well. And so I live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I'm here now, super quiet. And I spend a lot of time working with entrepreneurs as well. I, during this COVID outbreak, I've probably been on that Zoom with over 200 entrepreneurs, helping them emotionally or strategically in some way, shape or form. I view it as my pay it forward or pay it backward. I don't know. So that's my, my elevator. Awesome. That's yeah. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. That is a big change to go from marketing to Zen hospice work. I imagine that's come with either preceded a big shift in your perspective of what's important or precipitated a big shift in what's important for you. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, I was in year seven of the business. 
something was happening inside me and I didn't know what it was. I just wasn't really fulfilled by building apps and websites and doing marketing campaigns for the Fortune 500. You know, our clients were Volkswagen, Anheuser-Busch and you know, folks like that. And um, it turned out that what I was doing was somewhat meaningless, right? Like no one cares about anything that we built anymore. It's gone. You know, maybe the websites might still be there, but like it was so ephemeral. And I guess like if we want to talk spiritually, like whatever is my soul or spirit was like, dude, you got to do something more than just make money for yourself and for the, your clients and your employee. And so I decided to sell the business and I was fortunate enough to have seven potential acquirers and it was a really competitive process and we got top dollar and all that stuff. And eventually I recalled the Buddhist learnings and study that I had done over the course of my life that had hidden while I was CEO. No one knew I was a meditator. No one knew that I had this Buddhist leaning. And I dove deep into Zen and it was really powerful. And it's my daily practice now, putting the vacuum cleaner noise outside <laughs> the office so I can just be at peace with the vacuum cleaner noise. <laughs> A lot of people right now are becoming at peace with a lot of things they didn't realize they were going to have to become at peace with. I want to say hi to Dave Kosciuszko here. Dave, you can unmute yourself and say hi to the gang. Hey, guys. Uh, hey there. Hey, Dave. Welcome. Dave, we just had Pete give a brief bio for himself and what he's up to now. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what you've done so far? So basically, I have a couple cell phone repair stores in Rhode Island. We basically repair iPhones and we buy and sell electronics. So we buy them locally and then we resell on eBay. And then I have a digital course that pretty much teaches the business model of how to make money buying and selling phones to resell on eBay. Awesome. Yeah. We've chatted with David before. Peter just gave his introduction. I think you guys have some similarity in the fact that you started from basically nothing and bootstrapped your projects, right? Yeah, it was back in the Great Recession in 2008. We had a, a business at that time that we had lost and uh, we ended up going bankrupt, lost everything we had. And then we had to start up from scratch and started this business I have now in 2012 and kind of fell into it by starting off going to yard sales, reselling things, which kind of, you know, long story short, grew into this business. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. One uh, other thing I want to add to this is that normally we have one entrepreneur that we're interviewing on the on the show. and I think it'll be really interesting having multiple ones from completely different areas coming together and co-creating a business idea in a relatively short amount of time, talking through some action steps. It's going to be probably not as, as fleshed out. You can't take it to the bank quite yet, but that's okay. We just want to kick around some ideas using some of the experience that you guys have for things that people can get started at this time, trying to improve their lives, the lives of people in their communities, Others affected around the world by COVID. How many yeah, are we allowed to have? Just bring them all out, man. We can talk through them. Yeah, I'll give you one concept I have and then we can totally do something differently. But I thought maybe we could spend, say, 15 minutes and like really just kind of throw a bunch of stuff out there and discuss and figure out. And then maybe at the end of that, a little introductory period, we could pick one that we feel is like the most powerful or that we all somehow have some alignment towards. And then start digging into some of the nuts and bolts, you know, how somebody might get it started or just the implications of it. That sound good? Sure. Awesome. Peter seems like he's chomping at the bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what do you got to say, man? Speak your truth. First of all, I am a tried and true caffeine addict and I haven't had any caffeine in four weeks except for this morning. So I'm like, <laughs> I've got 
got something for you. All right. So I got a few things. The first thing, now I don't know what kind of scale business we're talking about. And it's a difficult environment for fundraising. So I think bootstrap stuff is super important. One of the low cost businesses that I think a lot of people could start right now. None of this is going to be glamorous, by the way. COVID cleaning services specifically targeted to people who are selling their real estate or renting their real estate. Figuring out, is there a way to create a seal of approval? Like, is there a WHO guideline or is there some other CDC guideline for residential or commercial space and the way that it was cleaned? Like, obviously all services, but do you have to fog the whole room with like an alcohol-based cleaning solution? And I, right now, literally would be starting it. I would be pitching all the realtors because there's going to be a lot of inventory that comes on the market across the country, especially in major cities. And they're going to need to say, like, this place was completely sanitized, right? So COVID cleaning services, I think, are here to stay, especially for the next year. Mm. Businesses that are already in the cleaning business in some way, shape, or form are well-positioned to just pivot into this service offering and brand it as such. So that's my first one. And i like to go on a second one real quick. If I can. Go for it. Inspired by David, in fact, who I didn't know. And, you know, he just joined this call. Unfortunately for you, and unfortunately maybe for others, there is going to be a fire sale of a lot of different kinds of assets that people have in their home. So if I were in the PE industry, you know, PE folks like to glamorize what they do. It's like, I'm in the distressed electronics liquidation business. That's what mm -hmm. I'm in. Like, mm -hmm. literally. And I find all the businesses right now that are selling laptops and selling, you know, monitors and selling everything because so mm. many people are going out of business. So mm -hmm. I want to be in the liquidation business. I want to buy electronics for 10 cents on the dollar. I want to have some of the best margins I've ever seen in the history of my business. And I would expand it well beyond personal electronic devices like cell phones. So I'd want to really be in the commercial technology liquidation business. That also is totally bootstrapped. That requires basically zero startup capital. It requires really good salesmanship. I grew up in my teens cold calling. So making that list and just hammering people on the phone and like trying to figure out, you know, who can be my customer. And then you obviously the, the outlets for that stuff. You know, there are bulk liquidation sites already like liquidation.com, but you can use eBay and you can use other things. So those are two ideas to start. Yeah. I'll do third quickie if you want. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, keep rolling. We'll see. I'll have 10 by the end of this call. So the <laughs> third one, this is this is inspired by the fact that there are a lot of millennials. I happen to be one. I'm one of the older cohort. I'm almost 40 who cannot afford a second home. They live in the city. They're currently scattered wherever they may be. And assuming the tide turns on the economy, they're going to come back to the city and still be concerned and somewhat trapped. You know, like, oh, I have to be in the city and I kind of wish, it, you know, I don't know when the next outbreak is going to happen. So I think um, co-ownership of country homes and cabin homes and beach homes among cohorts of people that really want to form a tribe would be super interesting. So imagine there are 10 people who each want to put in 100K because they've got the savings to buy a million dollar property. And by the way, if you look up state New York, you can buy 50 plus acres for that amount of money. And that becomes their retreat. And if the shit hits the fan, they go on retreat together. And I've found just in my own circle right now, a lot of people are like, Peter, are you going to buy a second home? And if so, can like, I join you on that? I'm like, yeah, maybe. So I think a co-ownership of real estate model, this would be like a modern timeshare business that's geared towards sort of bringing together tribes of people that feel relevant together rather than just being separate owners. So that's the third model. Right. I just got to take the opportunity to call out my personal vision that there's a house on the cliffs of Big Sur, California, 
where that's kind of one of the things that I dream of, right? And I've been thinking, I actually try to put my sights on things that I want if I have more money, if I'm making more money. And sometimes it's actually hard because I don't really like the idea of owning things. Like, oh gosh, if I own that thing, I got to take care of it. Maybe even if I turn it into a vacation rental, it's, there's going to be some sort of headache, some sort of need. And so mm-hmm. I just want to just say... Okay, that can happen with my dream home out there in uh, <laughs> in Big Sur, California. I'm I'm totally willing to share it with a tribe of really cool people, especially even even a higher leverage thing to do. That's a great set of ideas to kick us off, Peter. Appreciate that. I want to give Dave a chance here to throw some ideas into the mix before we start synthesizing and and uh, selecting what we're going to run with. I think Peter covered quite a bit, actually. We <laughs> got most of the ones that I was going to say. I actually had a carpet cleaning business before I started this business. So I think, like you said about the COVID cleaning is a great opportunity, something that you can get started with for a little money. I think that's... My, my wife was a house cleaner for three years. We had that business. And I think as far as the reselling electronics, I mean, that's what I do now. We deal more with the consumer end basis. You know, the only thing I would add in there is like in cold call or what we do is we place ads like Craigslist and stuff like that. I think unfortunately, you know, fortunately, unfortunately right now there's going to be people going through tough times with their businesses. I think a lot of businesses are going to close. I think there's going to be a lot of liquidation. And I think there's going to be a lot of business owners that are really in distress right now. They're losing their business and they just want to salvage anything they can get. If you can be the person to help them salvage a little bit and you can kind of be the broker for any kind of equipment right now, I think it's a great idea whether it's you know their machinery, restaurant equipment, and things like that. If you can find an outlet to resell that, I think there's probably a lot of opportunity right now for that. Uh, there's definitely a lot of opportunity in electronics because that's what we do right now currently is buy and sell use electronics. I want to ask a question that perhaps a cynical listener may be thinking about here, and I think it's a good time to bring this up. It could feel like one person's famine is another's fortune <laughs> with ideas like this. How do you guys think about that? And David, you can go first. Well, I remember when I was in 2008, I was losing my business and I had to sell to someone that was doing the same exact thing. I had all this office equipment. It was going to go in the dumpster. So, you know, someone came by, they gave me 400 bucks for it. For me, it fed my family for the next two weeks. So I was grateful. I do definitely see that point of view where it can feel kind of predatory a little bit or sharp, like a shark. But, you know, I've been in that position too. So I've been on both ends of the spectrum. And in that situation, it's helped. When I was getting my house foreclosed on, there was a guy who came in and said, I'll clean your house. And then they paid us for what we had. Like we had like our furniture and stuff like this. So they gave us cash on the first and clean your house out. And for me, it was a service at that time. We couldn't afford to pay someone to clean. And we were able to salvage some of our personal, you know, money for some of the personal belongings we had. So for me, it was, was help in a hard time. That's how I, I guess my opinion on that. Yeah, that makes sense. Back to you, Peter. So how do you think about that same question that I just asked David? Well, I have been a very cynical person in my life. And so I understand the perspective that one person's calamity is another person's opportunity. I do find it a bit, what's the word, crass? To be in some of the circles I'm in, these are generally very wealthy people who are like, yeah, well, how do I take advantage of this? I'm like, how about you start with the question of like how we address human suffering? So let's start there. And then, you know, because we are business-minded, we can look at economic opportunities, which certainly help people because we'll create jobs. I don't feel good starting with the like my avarice. I want to start with compassion right now, and then I can go to avarice. So related to these businesses, though, I mean, David, I want to hear more of your story. I mean, if you're God, if a business fails, you got to sell. You got to sell shit. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. And if you're in a position to be buying, you got to buy it, buy the gear and flip it. Great. So you can make a few thousand bucks to pay the mortgage and you know buy some food for your family. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I think it's very important that we all don't be too quick to judge. I've learned in my life that it's impossible just on first meeting or whatever to truly understand like someone's situation, like what has been their upbringing. You know, I grew up in a scarce financial context. And so still in me, there's this like greed, even though I'm very wealthy and I'm still like, oh, do I have enough? That's like childhood trauma that still persists, which is amazing to say. Thought I worked on it. So yeah, let's not be too quick to judge. And let's start with compassion rather than avarice in this moment. And let's use our business minds to make some money and you know help our families and our friends and donate some too. We had another comment come in here from Dan James. It says, firearm-based sales and training, home defense classes, quick access, personalized single-person access safes, development and testing of bug-out plans, non-lethal and less lethal defense options. Think a hands-on alarm company on steroids. So that's another idea to let percolate. Sure, go for it. Okay. So I, again, to the non-judgment part, my practice is Zen Buddhism. It's what I, I, I sit every morning and I study all sorts of stuff. And one of the things that I study is something called right livelihood. It's one of the eight Buddhist precepts. And in my context, I'm not person who commented, that might be your right livelihood, protecting people. For me, I can't possibly be in a business where I would harm someone. I have a big home, a beautiful home. And if someone were to break in, my training emotionally and intellectually is, hi, you can have whatever you want. Take whatever you want. And I have some money. It looks like you need it. Here, here's some money. Like I'd much rather give someone my TV and $1,000 than shoot them right? That's me and my right livelihood. So I think it's important for us to, again, like think about how we can be compassionate in this time. If someone's breaking into your house, they probably are just absolutely desperate. Mm. You know, they're probably ultimately selling that TV so they can feed their three kids and their their wife and maybe their dying grandmother. I don't know. So I'd rather Mm. not kill that person. I'd rather give them my stuff. That's That's a a uh, refreshing perspective. It's not something that you hear too often. So appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to add my two cents into the uh, question that I asked you guys around whether you're being greedy or taking advantage of someone else at this time if you're buying their equipment for 10 cents on the dollar. The economy is built on transactions. It's all about transactions. It's, if you increase the flow of money, that is essentially... Uh, it's a proxy for GDP, right? If you're not buying it for 10 cents on the dollar, then someone else is going to come in and buy it for 5 cents on the dollar. And that person is going to be worse off who has it. The way to grow the economy and to rebound from an event like this is to increase transaction volume, is to exchange value with each other more frequently. That helps me get through <laughs> that challenge. And you can do it in a nice way, right? You don't have to be a jerk about it. You can give someone a fair market deal for the situation that they're in. Yeah, that's my take on it. So we had a couple other comments. I'm going to read them while I'm reading them. I want you guys to think about, okay, we've got a little bit of time left here. How do we synthesize this idea? Which of these jumps out most to you to run with and to think through some action steps that we can share with our listeners so that we can make this a little bit more concrete? So comment again from Patrick Yoder here. It sounds a lot like creating a marketplace to ensure that those types of transactions can happen. I like the example of, would you rather throw your computer in the dumpster or actually sell it? And he also commented, can that marketplace creation effectively happen 
without the creator of it making money. So maybe that's another take on answering that predatory question, unless the government is doing it, which has its own limitations. So is the question, can there be a liquidation marketplace without financial transactions? It would be essentially like a barter system. Like I've got a whole bunch of, I got 20 grand worth of equipment out of a pizza shop that has failed. I know I can't sell it really for close to market value right now, but I put it into some kind of community equipment fund and I have a 20 grand credit if I want to pivot to be a landscaping business next year once things open up. Is that the... My take on it is that you're not going to have a marketplace like this unless value is being extracted in some amount by the person who's going through and doing the work for it, right? So it it could be a barter system in which it's still valuable. But I also don't... I mean, we we have uh, 24 minutes left here. So (laughs) I I want to bring us back. I'm going (laughs) to bring us back into coming up with an idea or honing in on an idea that we can share with our listeners. I have a fourth idea. Okay. Go for it. Here we go. Fourth idea. You have have 30 seconds. All this conversation (laughs) has led up to, there's going to be so many abandoned businesses. These are going to be former cafes and restaurants and nail salons and everything. Um, There really needs to be a really good marketplace for buying a distressed small business. There is not a good marketplace for buying distressed businesses. There are some brokers, crappy websites. This is one-on-one stuff. I would love to see the world's greatest, best analytics-driven small business acquisition platform. And I can see like three years trailing revenue. I see the COVID drop-off. I see what the present market value is of the assets today. I see a real-time auction or whatever else it is. And I tell you, I'm here in Williamsburg, 50% of the stores are never going to reopen. And so we're going to see these things. But there's going to be people like me who have cash on the sidelines. And maybe I want to buy that coffee shop for 100 grand, open it up and let someone have a job. I can run a coffee shop with my eyes closed. So there needs to be a clearinghouse for these defunct businesses. And that would be an awesome platform. And you take a 2 or 3% uh, fee to sell the business on the platform. Talking about clearinghouse, and I don't think we mentioned this when we were live yet, but um, a previous guest of ours, Shu Han He, who's a doctor at Massachusetts General Hospital, is playing a huge role in creating a website called getusppe.org. Definitely a place to also visit, but that's basically become a clearinghouse for people who need personal protective equipment, masks and gloves, and people who have it. And how can you connect those two? And let's put them all in the same space. And that website was, you know, I've, I've seen the growth of just how that website was put up and how there's kind of been a natural team that just grew around it. And of course, there's a certain pressure around it, just, you know, humanity, people wanting to give, but that's happened very quickly. It's just like you're saying, you could quickly start to create a website or something like that. And you can just start with a button that says, I have a business and I want to sell it. And a button that says, I'm looking for businesses to buy. And you just start from there and, you know, slowly, but surely you can build features and tests and brokering and all of that stuff. But you just start with a place where people can meet in the middle. And again, from David's perspective that he shared, maybe do favors for the people. They're going to come to that website because they want to sell their business and they want to get a good price for it. Maybe they want a few people competing on it, bidding on it, auctioning on it, right? And you're doing a favor also for the people who are buying those businesses so they know where to find them. They don't have to spend hours doing it. Should we go with that one? Should we like dig more into deeper detail with that one? What do you guys think? David, what do you think? I think that's great. I I had also an idea as well. I don't know if we have time if I should say it. One more up. Going off of that, but I was thinking for the people who don't have the money to invest in a business, right, is maybe leverage the current assets of a business that has to close because 
you know, there still may be a need. It just may need to be done differently for someone who is willing to put the sweat equity and has a little creativity, maybe do like an equity partnership with like someone who's going to go out of business and say, hey, you've got this pizza oven here that, you know, I don't have the money to buy, but I have digital marketing skills. And, you know, I know home delivery is big right now. So maybe we can work together and do something in a way to still sell the product, but just differently than what's been currently normal. I think that makes total sense. And that could potentially even be integrated. Yeah. You could have a place where people can, you know, equity shares, right? I want to buy a business. I want to sell a business. You know, I want to equity share. You know, I want to get in there and turn this business around from the inside. Should we just kind of run with that? Maybe put those two things together and like, you know, just get into kind of like, what are some of the other nitty gritty details? Is there more to talk about? Have we kind of covered what the basics are? Anybody have a little more steps down the line or, you know, key ideas? Yeah creative direction can i ramble for uh 60 seconds yeah six ramble away i I think you're dead on you know it's a two-sided marketplace so we've got a seller of a business and a buyer of the business what david was talking about was really the details of how a transaction happened right the ways that a transaction could happen normal transaction like i'd buy the business with cash right so a hundred thousand dollars to buy the assets of the pizza shop another option which david uh, was alluding to is well, I'm actually going to do an equity share. So I'm going to take over the pizza shop. You used to be the owner. You're now in Florida, never coming back. I'm going to take 75% of the equity. You're going to keep 25%, which would enable them to have a profit share at some point. And I'm going to run the thing. It's better than nothing. And that's a deal that I would do. That's a good deal. No cash on the table. I open the doors once I'm able to open the doors and I sell some pizza. I think on a buyer side, there's probably a lot of people that would want to be buyers. The question is really, how do we do... And do we need to do diligent verification of the, if these are folks that are going to be will, uh, ready, willing, and able to actually buy these businesses? So, you know, we've got accredited investors across so many different platforms. Maybe there's credentialing through AngelList or Crunchbase or something else, like verifying that we've got really high quality buyers. That's going to entice the sellers to put things on the platform. You got to imagine if you're a seller, you're fucking crushed. Right, you don't have time to waste listing this on some stupid website that no one's ever going to look at. You need to come to a website and go. We have two thousand accredited investors with a total net worth of two point eight billion dollars and an average net worth of one point five who are buying businesses right now. List now. So I think nice. the buyer side and the verification side is crucial from a marketing standpoint. I do think about starting small. I actually think about if you could literally start this today in New York City using an email list. So you just set up a Google group that anybody can join, buyers and sellers of businesses. You got to say, hey, when you join this list, you just list the assets, uh, you list your asking price, you list your contact information. And you get that out in all the relevant places on the next door and the Yelps and the whatevers. And you see what comes up. I've got to interject here with a comment that asks, why do you think a small business acquisition company doesn't exist? What are the constraints that really need to be solved? And how would an online clearinghouse solve those binding constraints? Is it just about creating transparency around who the buyers and sellers are? What you think for that minute? Chris Braji, you got to do better than, hey, guys. <laughs> Jonathan Recchi, we're in need of ventilators. I, I hear that. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that question? David, would you like to jump in first and then we can go to Peter? Why are there not a lot more small business acquisitions? It seems like an obvious idea. <laughs> um, why doesn't it exist? I think one is just, to be honest, it's not a very sexy thing. You know, I think real estate right now has always been more of a sexier mainstream type of thing where 
small business acquisition, there's a lot more skills involved because not only you got to buy it, you got to find the deal, you got to get the invested the capital, and then you got to run the business. So it's a little bit more involved with the business than, uh, let's say, just buying a house, those skills. But I think there's money to be made even just being a piece of that transaction. For example, like if you want to be the broker, you have your the investors. If you are just a deal maker, maybe you don't have to be a full acquisition company, just be the deal maker where you broker, you find a, a deal and they're willing to give you maybe a share or something like that. I also think that it doesn't exist, and I, I'm going to sound like an out of touch rich guy. The deal sizes are too small for most people to care. Like savvy investors who have money to spend are doing seven figure, eight figure deals. And if I'm doing a hundred thousand dollar deal, do I care about a three percent like success fee of three grand? No. So the marketplace at the lowest level, meaning smallest business level, is it's fractured. It's not aggregated because the big players haven't cared. So maybe it takes one player to care to aggregate the whole scene nationally in a branded platform that can be advertised on television. And we go like half a million small businesses for sale, anywhere from five grand to $500,000, own it today at half the price due to the calamity we just went through. So now might be the time for this marketplace to come together. I think you pointed out a great action step that our listeners can take to get this going. I want to bring up some objections that come to mind in building something like this. Uh, how can you trust the accuracy of the numbers that a small business owner would share with you? You can't. You have to do due diligence. That's another reason why this doesn't exist. Doing due diligence on a $100,000 deal, forget it. Like It's brutal. Again, there's so many reasons why this does not exist. Um, there would have to be a very standard valuation process. And maybe it's like last year's tax returns and you take whatever is categorized on the equipment line items of that return, discount them by 50% and that's your valuation. Whatever was submitted to the IRS previously as your equipment, discount by 50 and here we are. You want to do that? Let's do that deal. You don't want to do that deal? Not the right platform for you. It kind of lends itself to that kind of like government auction type of thing. You know, it's like, or at least for some of these businesses, some of the larger ones could be treated differently. But it's like, you know, here's what we got. We got this information. Here's last year's tax returns, of course, necessary. And this is like a basic valuation of this business. And if it was a business in my hometown and I went there every day, you know, and I knew how that run and I knew there was a line out the door and I know that they're just distressed and I have sort of insider information, I know that's an excellent buy and I would really love to get in that business. Then I'm smart for taking that. Paul. And then somebody else might just jump in there blindly and grab it. And it's up to them if they know what to do with it. But it's there for whoever wants to bid on it and make the best of whatever it is. And then the other side of the marketplace with the investors, you mentioned accredited investors as a shortcut, I'll use that word, to ensure that the people on the platform are legitimate. Would there be any additional vetting that you would do for that? And if not, how would you find those accredited investors? there would need to be any additional vetting. If you've got the money to spend, why wouldn't you be allowed to buy a business? Maybe, I mean, if you wanted to have an option for a seller to do an automated background check on a bidder for $130 fee, that's a good idea. Those services exist. They can be integrated into a platform. And so you might have 10 bidders and you're like, okay, I want to run backgrounds on all 10 of them in the next 24 hours. Eight of them came back as great. Two of them came back with prior bankruptcies and one had fraud. Okay. Yeah, I don't really want to talk to those people anymore. Or the platform itself does that on the way in. 
but that's a real expense that I would not want to carry that cost. If I were the platform, I'd want the seller to carry that cost. How would you find the accredited investors? As I mentioned before, I would want to look at the pre-existing investment platforms to see which have already designated users as being accredited investors. I believe AngelList does that. I might be wrong. I believe that CrowdStreet and YieldStreet, which are both real estate investing platforms, I do a lot of real estate investment, those do verify the status of accredited investors. The question is, how could you get the credentialing out of those two platforms? You probably can't. You may be able to get it out of AngelList. And then the next thing I would do, pardon my French, I'd around with the LinkedIn API in some legit ways and see if there's a way for me to scrape that language out of the API for specific users and then do like a cross tab with AngelList or Crunchbase or something else. So I'd be like, okay, we kind of got a sense that Peter he sold the business and is says accredited investor on a couple of public platforms. So it's a little bit messy, but it's definitely something that should be solved or solvable to a certain degree. The other thing I will lastly say about accredited investing, it's literally just self-reported. So there's no outside body that credentials that. You just basically say, I am an accredited investor, meaning I have over $2 million in assets. So you got to take people on their word. Okay. I think that we made a decent bit of progress here on this idea. A couple more comments that came in here. Dan James said, if a business plan like a COVID-based cleaning business directly relates to the virus and not the economic situation it creates, is it wise to assume that sort of liability if when the virus isn't completely contained, someone gets sick, the surface test positive, et cetera? So is it wise to take down the risk of it actually being in the business of cleaning up COVID? That's the question? I think so, yeah. Personally, I wouldn't. But there are people that are taking on all sorts of risk right now to fight this pandemic. And if you're doing it in a business context, you're going to get paid top dollar. I've got a good friend who has a business down in DC that was doing uh, cleaning for a lot of the car share companies. And his business is actually, it went through the roof right away because they're like, we need you to double down on cleaning. And now it's dropping off the demand for those services. So there is some volatility in that regard. I think that as soon as people start going back to work, we're just going to need to have our offices cleaned like twice a day instead of twice a week or whatever it is. So I would want to be in that business, maybe not firsthand. I would yeah. want to be actually doing the scrubbing. I read an anecdote. I think it was on Reddit. There was a cleaning company who was contracted, I want to say 15 grand a night <laughs> to clean an office building. That sounds on the scale for what you would expect for something like that? That seems pretty high. But it probably has to be a pretty big office building, but I mean, it doesn't sound anything crazy. It definitely seems realistic. Yeah. I've been out of the cleaning business for eight, nine years now. So it's tough to say what, you know, what the current rates are. Fair enough. Nancy Jane asked, how often do you think this will end up just being a way to acquire the land owned by small business versus actually wanting to run the small business? I say very rarely because almost, I would say 99% of small businesses don't own their real estate. It's the landlords that own the real estate and they're mm -hmm. often much wealthier and much more well-capitalized. I own a building here in Brooklyn that has a commercial ground floor that we have uh, still have a tenant in and you know they may not take the space back over after COVID, but I'll still own the building. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's any kind of predatory real estate thing happening. I will say that if there are small businesses that own their real estate that are going to be up for sale, that's a great purchase. That mm -hmm. would be the thing I would be filtering for in a platform like what we were discussing, which is like, 
is there real estate that comes along with the business? And you may be buying a, you know, a commercial property in a small town somewhere in America that, you know, it'll come back and you may be buying it at a distressed price. This is real estate investing now. This is not small business investing. So I think a lot of real estate investors are going to be doing that. I know for sure. I have very good friends. As I said, I'm a real estate investor here in New York City. I have friends, they built the hotels here in New York. They're, they got tens of millions of dollars of dry powder and they've been waiting for this to happen. Not hoping it would happen, but waiting for a massive downturn. So they can scoop stuff up. That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. We're coming up on the end of the hour here. One question that we like to ask at the end of our episodes typically is, What's one idea that you would like to leave with the listener? And you can frame it in the context of COVID or potentially a recession coming up, you know, whatever you'd like. You know, these are crazy times. And uh, when things get tough, we tend to think of ourselves a lot and what we're going to do. And it can cause a lot of stress. But I find, especially going through a great recession and losing things, the biggest wins I've had in business have always come from doing something good for somebody else. It's always led to something else. So what I would say is, you know, I know things are tough right now, but try to focus on what good you can do for others and keep the thought of love and kindness. And for me, when I stick to that principle, something always happens good from that. Agreed. You know, I said this to an 18 year old whose mother is dying right now. And I was working with her as, you know, the hospice support that I provide. And I said, you know, 10 years from now or 20 years from now, you know, someone's going to ask you what, you know, what did you do during the pandemic? And I think that's an important question to keep asking ourselves every day. Some people's answer will be, well, I hid in a bunker with 10 million bucks and some canned beans and a shotgun. And like, okay, well, that shows some things about you. And I answer this question myself, which is I stayed in the city. I made sure that the people that were vulnerable around me got food and money. And I continue to do the spiritual care work that I do because people needed it more than ever. And I did not want to be some rich guy hiding in a fucking bunker. So think about the story 10, 20 years from now. It's going to be important. It'll help you focus on right now what you can be doing. I think that's great. That's excellent, Peter. Thanks for sharing that. I'll just add on top of that. You know, I've been coaching some people recently. Everybody's got to be dealing with this. And, you know, even if all that you're doing, is staying at home and weathering the difficulty of how do I do my job from home, you know, (laughs) with my kids crawling on my lap while I'm at my computer or, you know, just not going to the grocery store as often as you were going to go, even just going about your normal life or being solo, just sitting there, but like dealing with your own existence for a couple of weeks, you're also doing enough. I think that that's like, if you're driven and you want to kind of make something happen, I think we're kind of shifting you towards do something to help people, doing something to help the economy. Think about that story that it's going to be. But on the other side of it, if all you're doing is facing your demons, like sitting in your home by yourself, it's okay too. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a, a great place to leave us here. So thank you very much, Peter and David. Again, you guys are welcome to hang around or jump back in later on, even if you're feeling up for it. We're going to have a slew of folks coming through today and It's been a pleasure for for me. I think it's been fun talking through some of these ideas and and having you guys 
bounce off each other. So that's very cool. Oh, thank you guys. I'm going to jump for lunch. And I look forward to seeing what ideas get pushed forward as we go. And if I have a fifth idea, I'll jump back on it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, jump in. You guys are welcome to just jump in whenever you like. It's a, it's a free-for-all today. It's been super fun so far. So happy that you guys were up for this. And it's turned out even better than I think we could have imagined. So that's great. Thank you. Enjoy your lunch. Now it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.